our thinking is yeah. really what prevents us from going into the promised land. It's how we think. It's our worth, whether we can do it. Because our thinking is so consumed with what I can do. We don't even give time or mental energy to the fact of God's going to do something. <gasps> Well, welcome back to another episode of Experience the Truth. It's been a minute. We have been, tra well, you have been traveling more so than I have, but I feel like the month of April was a week and it was gone, uh, but now we're back. So kind of lay out what your April looked like because it was probably one of the craziest months I've had in a long time. I mean, we started off with the week of Easter, which by far one of the greatest Easter's I've ever been a part of. And, and, um, you know, what took place when you guys went down to Florida, that video was just powerful to watch and, and to experience through your eyes. And then, then to go through Easter and to see what God did on Easter as he does every year, but this year especially. And then we went right to Israel during Passover. We actually arrive in Israel, go to Israel there for a while. And then we had our, our district meetings and equip conference. And then we went right from that to Burkina Faso and spent um, a few days in Burkina Faso, uh, ministered at their, preached at their uh, a couple of graduations. And then coming back, it was over. That was the month of April, man. That's how it translated. But yeah, it went, it went fast. And then you're going, your anniversary, you're going to be leaving again. Yeah, going That's to crazy. Italy, which is leave on Sunday afternoon to Italy. How many for, years is that? 28 years. It was really our 25th at wedding anniversary, but like many people, COVID messed that up for them. Yeah. So um, it, we're finally getting to it and pretty excited and pumped about just seeing Rome and Italy. And, you know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of things in Rome that really tie to the Bible. This has really been a year of just going to geography that's biblical geography as well and seeing that. And it's what Israel was. Because you went to, before we went together on our trip, like immediately, this is what happened. We had Easter, guys, and we hopped on a plane the next day to go to Israel. It was pretty crazy. But he had been uh, with a mission trip from our church. He took them to, to Israel. So this was his third time going, second time this year. And so he was kind of our tour guide uh, <laughs> along the, the trip. And, and for me, it was like the small, he kept making fun of me because it was the smallest things being there that I was so like blown away by. Like, for example, we, we get to the airport, we land there uh, in Tel Aviv. And I heard someone saying, uh, Abba, Abba. Like talking, <laughs> that means like dad. And if you're knowing what I'm talking about, like the passage of scripture, when it refers to us talking to our father, Abba, I was like, man, I'm getting emotional. Like, wow, this is so, so powerful already. We haven't even. I found even out. I found out one thing I didn't know when we were there is that you have this infatuation with birds and <laughs> We were we were sitting uh, at the place where Jesus, they believe Jesus would have been baptized, and it's the same place on the Jordan River where 
Joshua would have crossed over to go into the promised land with the Israelites. And, and, um, but anyway, so they correlate and we, we were filming there, uh, for our small group series and Alex was taking pictures of all these doves and without knowing, he said, these could have been one of the doves. And what he meant was it could have been a dove like this, that the Holy Spirit came, but he's like, this could have been one of the doves that ascended (laughs) on Jesus. It would have been a pretty old dove that would have done that. But it's but. So, he's making he's making fun of me, and I'm like having this like powerful. I'm like, man, it's like I'm like, why are you laughing? Like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just like I like birds, but when you're in you're at the Jordan River and the 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 scripture, if you look at it, it said the Spirit ascended on him like a dove. Later, we talked about. Uh, we don't know if they're are they actually in that area doves like white doves in the because it's in the if you get a picture of what the jordan river looks like it's probably different than what's in your brain where jesus was baptized like we were in the middle of the the desert uh and so and then you get these white doves it's like where the heck did they come from we, yeah, it it's um, like anything yeah. when you go there, it was probably not at all what you envisioned it as. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a book that someone was telling me about this book um, that they had read many years ago. And, it, and I remember the book. It's a great book. It's reading the Bible through the Western eyes. Yeah. And um, many Christians... Uh, when they read the Bible, they read it through the lens of their Western mindset uh, of how they would perceive it to look. Like our mind is an incredible um, organ that fills in the blanks. Hmm. Like we can't just have like things that are not known. We had a, we naturally fill in what we think it might be like. And when we do that, we often take on those ideas as theology, hmm. like we, we often shape the, we can change a whole meaning of a verse based on how we view it happened or where it happened or in what place it happened. And, and when we went to Israel, one of the things you quickly discover is uh, it's a lot different than what you imagined. It, it looks a lot different. The pictures don't do it justice. No. Um, the descriptions, us telling you uh, what it was like, isn't going to do it justice. So even as you were saying, is a desert. It was, it was kind of a desert, but it's real close to Jerusalem, which is not a desert. Jerusalem's on the top of a mountain, um, and when you go into Jerusalem, you realize why they always say they went up to Jerusalem or they went up to the temple because yeah. it was a high place in Jerusalem and it was the center of, of all of their activity. And so there's a lot of things I think we're going to talk about today that, that kind of highlight the importance of, and, and another thing they used to call it, and this is the thing that I think we went into it knowing, but also saying it really is the fifth gospel. You know, there are four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they've really kind of branded the land the fifth gospel. Yeah. And what they mean by that is all the gospels kind of give perspective to what is being said, you know, the stories he told and the parables he told. But the geography gives a whole lot of perspective as well oh, yeah. to what he meant because that's where he was at when he said it. He was using things in the geography to describe what he was trying to get across to those who are listening. Yeah, you, you're there. And it's super weird because like, he had been there before, and so he is rattling off all these different facts and different things that 
Um, he's telling us, and it's and it's such like an overload of information because it's not just like the facts when you're there. You're like listening to everything, and it's interesting, but you're also sitting there at the same time, and it's so surreal because it's like I've read this book my whole life, and now I'm standing here where it took place, and I'm having a tour guide tell me like the you know the credibility of where we exactly know that this took place this is where jesus spit on the ground and made mud and healed the blind man uh this is where jesus would have done like over half of his ministry in capernaum like you walk into the into capernaum it says like the city of jesus uh we are in magdala and they have the the ground excavated in one of the temples where we know exactly that that's where he would have been and he would have taught in this temple and the you you see the stones still there and so there's there's things like that uh that's the whole trip consistent with the whole trip and you're like this is this is real like i knew it was real but you're there and it, it is mind-blowing. It really is like the fifth gospel and it puts everything you've read into perspective and you understand it like a, a whole lot more because you have a practical, you know, view of it rather than just this ethereal, you know, uh, not concrete like idea of what the Bible like looks like. It's not well, just a bunch of metaphors. And I think as a child, if you grew up in the church or in Sunday school, um, you're told these stories and you read the stories and, and they're kind of interspersed with all the other stories that you're told, the stories of Santa Claus, the story of, of Winnie the Pooh, the story, all those other stories are told along with biblical stories. Mm-hmm. And although you know this really happened and although you've been taught that, there's some part of that that, that almost you don't even realize until you get there, like, oh, this really happened. <laughs> exactly. There is, it's not Alice in the Wonderland and there is, there is no Wonderland. Like there is a place called Dan. Mm-hmm. There is a place called Caesarea. When we were there, um, we were standing on the floor, palace floor of Caesar, right at the Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm where Paul would have been judged here. And then they just discovered below it, the prison cells. Yeah, that was And they just discovered it. And from the time that I was there in October to the time we were there just this last month, Mm -hmm. that happened. And that's, it's in those cells that Paul would have been kept in before he was sent to Rome. Hmm. And you know the story, you know that he was judged and then sent to Rome because he appealed uh, to Caesar. And, but that's where he would have been. I mean, like we're talking about a real dude that would have been put in this and he made the decision. And, and in the story, it just brings new color to the story when you think about it. Yeah, it's, it's totally different. There was one thing, and this will, this will trip you out. We're going to show you guys something right here. This is one of the locations uh, that we were at, uh, and it was the Valley of Elah. So yeah. if you're familiar with that, uh, what story took place there? David and Goliath. And they can literally, you want to talk about how they know, like the valley that we were standing in? how we know exactly where that would have taken place. And I think really for them more so, I think it's a cool story for them to know that that's where we were at. But also how do we know, you know, that the Bible isn't just made up and it's not once upon a, you know, a time or, so how can we look back and understand that we know for a fact that this is where that battle would have taken place? Yeah, this is, um, when I went there many years ago, they, they were making the statement that we believe it was here. Yeah. 
in October, they made the statement, we know it's here. And how did, what changed? Well, mm-hmm. one, they knew the Mount of Sukkoth was there. And what's interesting is most people don't realize this, that Gath, where Goliath is from, and and, and in Bethlehem and Hebron, where Hebron Saul was there, and then David was in Bethlehem. But he that you can see... Uh, across the valley where Gath and Hebron, I mean, these were within distance. It was close. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I think most people are shocked by That's is so how close. close everything is to mm-hmm. everything else. And uh, so how do they know? Well, they know the one mountain that the Philistines were on Sukkot was right there. Now, the, the, the mount the Israelites was on, the name of that mountain means two gates. And they just, and most cities, in fact, almost all of them would have one gate. You didn't want two gates, you wanted one. But in the case of this city, ancient city that they've just uncovered, they've uncovered the fact that it had two gates. Hmm. Would have been synonymous with its name. That's where the Israelites would have been. And then the river uh, that, where David would have picked up the smooth stones and you're holding one, the yeah. riverbed goes right through there. And still today you can pick up stones there. In fact, people go there all the time, pick up these stones and they're smooth stones. Um, so this, this is the stone. Yeah. That- yeah. That, and as you would say, that's, that's maybe the stone that killed <laughs> Goliath that's sitting there. Uh, but it's a smooth stone and you feel it. It's unusually smooth. It's not like another kind of stone. It's just really, it, it's interesting because in the narrative, it says he picked up five smooth stones. For him to say smooth means that the, it was a characteristic that was obvious, like it was it was overly evident that it was smooth. And um, we actually filmed uh, about David and Goliath uh, down there in the spot, right about an area, was legitimately an area where David and Goliath could have come together and maybe even where he would have cut his head off. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, and we talked about it, like the yeah. story of David and Goliath when you're there, you, you begin to realize a lot of things. There's revelation that comes out of being in the place. And you realize in some ways, we've always made it about David and Goliath, but it really isn't about David and Goliath. It was more about David and Saul. Yeah. And at that time, David was already anointed king by by Samuel, but he didn't have the position. Mm. Saul had the position. Yeah. But Saul, no, no longer operating in the anointing of king, but he held the position. Mm. And as long as he was leading the Israelites, they were cowards and there was fear. But when David, the anointed king, came on the scene, he led them to defeat the enemy. And then the Israelites followed him. The people follow the anointing. They don't follow position. That's, that's something that I think is a problem. A lot of people want position with no power or anointing. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, really the whole story of David and Goliath, because David was never an underdog. Yeah. And it's always an underdog story. But if you read that text... At no point did David think he was an underdog ever from the time he walked in. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He never thought he was never afraid of him. He never, he's like, cause I got like, I got God on my side. And if God is for me, who can be against me for us to say we're underdogs or we're, we got giants in our life, friend, there are no giants Mm. in your life. Mm. If you say there are giants in your life, what you're suggesting is the thing you're facing is bigger than the God in you. Mm. And 
the Holy Spirit is in you. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the giant is you. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. problem should be afraid. Those things in your life should be afraid because the giant is you. Yeah. And David operated in that. He was fully persuaded of that. Mm-hmm. And he defeated those giants in, in that persuasion. So when you're standing there, I think what's cool is you're standing there and um in that spot, you see, you can see where they were, like, you can see the whole story mm-hmm. when you're sitting there and, and, um, and to be able to just close your eyes and imagine what that would look like when you see it is pretty amazing. It's pretty powerful. It's interesting. Like tagging off of that, like people that in culture, it's, you know, got to get mine and I got to chase position, failing to realize that it's God, the one that promotes and God's the one that anoints. Like if he is called, if he, you know, if he wants you to be in a position, he'll put you there. It's not something that we have to reach and strive for, uh, pushing everybody else underwater so we can try to grasp for air. Uh, we don't gotta, we don't gotta worry about other people because God is the one that anoints. You, You know, it's interesting is we don't need position to operate in the anointing. Yeah. We don't, we don't need the position. We want the position. So other people recognize this as being yeah. someone with it. Yeah. We, we want position more for us than we need it to do what God wants us to do. We yeah. want people to recognize who I am mm-hmm. rather than to see how, what I'm operating in. Mm. And, uh, I, I think there's a saying I've often told, you know, you guys, and we go, God, God, when man promotes you, man can pull you down. When God promotes you, man's hands cannot touch you. And the the reality is if you manipulate your promotion, Mm -hmm. there will be a manipulation to get you out. Mm. You, you can be afraid because what you've elevated and when you elevate yourself, anybody can pull you down. Mm. But when you allow God to promote you, God will remove you if there's time where you need to be removed. Other than that, no one can touch you. No, that's good. And and what I wanted you to cover as well, um, because I think this just like when I was there, I've had, you know, I'm constantly battling, you know, apologetics and everything as we go live on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this ministry, what it's all about. Experience the truth. Uh, but when you're there, it only it like bolsters up your confidence because it's history. And it's like I'm standing on solid ground. One of those that I feel like I can stand on and I, I've, I've known, but when you're there, it makes, it makes a difference is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Uh, do you want to kind of share? We literally were there in Qumran uh, where those were discovered. Do you want to talk about how that was found, what they are and what's significant uh, about them. Yeah. It, it, what's interesting about the Dead Sea Scrolls is most people really don't understand why it was important. Mm-hmm. But one of the, 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 I mean, there's the dialects and d- as time goes on, the original text, for those who don't know, the original text of the old scriptures were written into Hebrew, were written in Hebrew. Yeah. And of the New Testament, it was written in Greek and Aramaic. Yeah. And, um, when they were translated, they were translated into Latin. And then in the early years, it was translated from English and from Latin into English. Well, eventually it went back and it was translated, but they went back and they translated uh, from the original text into English and they took the Latin out of it. The, The Dead Sea Scrolls, what they've noticed was that the difference between the current 
uh, uh, text that we have because what they would do, scribes would rewrite on new, uh, what we'll call paper. It wasn't called paper, but they would rewrite the scriptures on new uh, scrolls and they would rewrite it. And what they figured was over time, things change. They would change words. They maybe misspell words. They maybe do something uh, so, so that over time, the mistakes would add up and what we have now wouldn't be close to that. Well, what they discovered was that they were very accurate to the mm. original, that over a thousand years, uh, th- that the scrolls, that the scribes did an incredible job being very accurate of, of writing exactly what was there. So it was being transferred from generation to generation in an accurate way. It also gave us an understanding of what certain words meant. It gave us a better understanding of what certain words meant. So when we translated it from the original into the Greek, we were able to say, okay, that's what that actual word meant. And then we see that because of the the error of where it was from the original. And, and, and it gave people who were, because that's extremely important, that what was originally written is what we have today. And we're not, you know, there's a joke. Uh, well, I don't know if I can tell the joke and make it across, but it, it's, it's funny. Somebody, if you miss a letter, you can change the whole word. Uh, yeah. you know, you, if you, if you, if the word is celebrate and you miss an R, well, oh, yeah, it changes, <laughs> yeah, it that, changes everything. And hopefully that's not, <laughs> that's a fun, I think yeah, you should tell that one. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. if they can do that, just think of celebrate and take out the R. Celebrate and celebrate. <laughs> very, very different. Very different. Very different. But they found those Dead Sea Scrolls um, in a cave and it was because the kids were playing and they ended up knocking over one of the containers and this is how it got. Yeah. They found the containers. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in an area where they took great pride in, in trans, you know, uh, rewriting or taking it from one scroll, writing it on another and, and preserving they were hiding it. it because of the destruction of the temple. In That's right. AD. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. And there, there's another, here's another fact just to put in your back pocket, because this is what this podcast is going to be today. It's going to be very different. So we're going to take the facts and different interesting topics that I think were cool revelations uh, along the trip. And we're going to give them to you so you can put in your back pocket and have something to chew on. One of them was when we were on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. So you guys don't know what that is. That's where Jesus walked on water. That's where Jesus called his first disciples. That's where uh, there's so much that took place on that lake. And uh, our tour guide had, uh, you know, given us a, an interesting little tidbit about when was it Peter when he when he threw the nets uh, overboard and he 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 caught 153 fish. That, yes. I can't remember the exact story when that took place. Yeah, but you, you our, tell it. so our tour guide. I had never heard this before, but in that story, it it identifies the exact number of fish that they caught, which is unusual that they would put the exact number of fish because it really doesn't change the story to say they caught so many fish that could barely pull them in or 153 fish. Well, our tour guide, um, uh, who, who is uh, a Jewish guide, not a believer, uh, identified the fact that with Hebrew letters, they assign a number and, and every number has a letter. And when you take the number 153 and you add, uh, you, you break that down to the letters, 
um, what 153 added up to was my... Um, I am God. I am God. Uh, so the number 153 based on the correlation of its letters means I am God. And that was after Jesus told them to do that. Like it's yes. a pretty interesting. He basically, they didn't know who he was mm-hmm. when he was there. In fact, they said, I think that's Jesus on the shore and they catch 153. Even in the catch, it was declaring that mm-hmm. he was God. Like if they didn't understand it. And even today, if we don't understand it, even in within the stories, God puts these little keys mm-hmm. that tells us who Jesus was. You know, so many people don't want to believe that he's God. And yet Jesus said, you're going to catch the exact number that's <laughs> going to declare that I am God. When, when you see numbers in the Bible, you like, especially with like Hebrews, it, they're very like numbers are very significant. Like you're not, mm-hmm. you're not just throwing in numbers. If you read numbers in scripture, they usually more often than not, they have a meaning. Uh, unlike, you know, I had someone to we had an appointment and uh she's like i will see i like uh i will see you in 44 minutes i'm like i was like what 44 minutes like who says that like not 40 not 50 like in about an hour like yeah. 44 minutes like that's just someone says hey they, i caught 153 fish or yeah like you know at that point i, I just got a bunch i got i racked right. them in <laughs> but if you look at even creation and in scientists and physics physicists yeah tell you numbers are big part of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, numbers must be important to God because He uses them in creation. Uh, you look at a computer programmer, and it's when you know when you talk about creation itself, it says it's a lot like a computer programmer how the creation occurred because the order of the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in computer programming, you know, as ones and zeros and all of uh, how they use, but it. It, the, the, it's very close, like math and physics, and it, it's very closely tied together. Mm-hmm. And and so in scripture, when you see that, and, and Jewish people would tell you that the numbers in scripture are in, paramount. It's like a code uh, that God's given you, something fun to kind of discover. Yeah. There was um, also, uh, when we were there, um, do you kind of want to talk about some of the... When we were when we were going when we went to the Jordan River, there was there was something significant, not just where Jesus was baptized, but there's also an interesting, you know, correlation from the history uh, of the Jewish people with that same river that he went to be baptized. I think that would be. I, I don't want to steal away. So all of this that you're hearing right now is kind of a teaser to our, our our small group series. That's why we went out there. We're going to be doing a small group series called More Than a Book. And so everything you're hearing right now, you're just literally scratching the surface of what September uh, is going to be looking like. Uh, so, so just so you know, you're going to want to be prepared and you're going to want to start a small group because it's going to be very powerful. But with that, I know that's what you're going to cover in the group, but I want you to kind of share that symbolism and what significance that was for Jesus being baptized in that river. Yeah, what's interesting this time was the first time I actually got to this spot. Um, I'd heard about it, but it's a dirty part of the Jordan River. It's very dirty. Yeah. Um, uh, when we do baptisms, it's further up toward the Sea of Galilee. The water coming out is much cleaner. And that's typically where a lot of people go to be baptized in the Jordan. This one is milky brown. It's mm-hmm. pretty dirty. It's not really that wide. It's not impressive. And yet at flood stage, it would be very wide. And uh, what's interesting is 
the Israelites who had been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, that one first generation, the one, the generation of, of slaves in Egypt passes away and their children uh, come up in a different mentality. They don't live under slavery. And Joshua is now leading them into the promised land, which uh, Jesus's name is Yeshua, Joshua. Hmm. Okay, so Yeshua is Jesus. You got to keep that in mind. And Yeshua in that followed Moses, Joshua, takes the Israelites from the wilderness into the promised Hmm. land, into what God had promised for them. The second Yeshua, and there's many Joshua's, but the second was Jesus. And but his Hebrew name was Yeshua. He brings us from the wilderness, confusion, chaos, all those things. And he brings us into the promised land, Mm. promised land of thinking. And then in the promised land, he fights our battles. He Mm. tells us when we follow him, he fights those battles. He says, I'm going to fight your battle. You're to destroy Jericho. And in every other enemy, you lean on me and and still today. So there's a correlation where Joshua goes through and there's almost this baptism as Moses leaves Joshua. Joshua becomes the leader of the Israelites and they enter into the promised land. Jesus is baptized and he moves from being just Uh, this person who has been kind of behind the scenes, maybe doing miracles like turning water into wine. But now his open ministry takes place and he goes right into, where does he go? He goes from the river. He actually goes into the wilderness. The the Israelites come from the wilderness through the Jordan into the promised land. Jesus is baptized, goes into the wilderness and then comes out and begins his ministry. And he crosses over into this and, and he leads us and he still leads leading us in the promised land. It was like the second Joshua says, now I want you to live in this promised land. It's not a geograph- geographical area, but it he's he's leading us in the promised land. We get to live in today, wherever you're at. Yeah, it's interesting. You said something about uh, when we were there, you said there's a there's a Passover crossover word right. that you did that there was a Passover. They were they were set free from their bondage and then they crossed over into, into the, the promise. promise. Yeah, there's a, so, and, and and we happened to be there during Passover. Yeah. So it was it's just very ironic at the end of Passover, you know, when, when the death angel passed over them, it passed over them and then they crossed over. Hmm. The, the blood of Jesus covers us so that death, destruction passes over us. It doesn't touch us. And then we cross over into the promise. And when Jesus was literally in, he purchased all of that so that the, that death could pass over us, not destroy us, but that we could cross over into the promised land. And, and the reality is Christians are unfortunately living far away from what God really has intended for their life. The promises God has for their life, they just don't believe it's for mm-hmm. them. And when you're there, you see, wow, why didn't the Israelites get this? Like, because I'll tell you why life happens. Yeah. You know, the reality is we all know this. We forget. Mm-hmm. We forget the fact that Christ passed, that the, the, that the blood of Jesus covered us and death passed over us. Yeah. And there are all kinds of death things in our life right now that pass over us. But we don't allow our minds to cross over into the promise way of thinking, kingdom thinking, uh, the, who we are as 
children of God. And when you're there, it is it's nothing but death. Like yeah. you're out there, and we were we were talking about it. Uh, Pastor James is like, man, if I was one of these Israelites, I, I don't know if I I might be the chief complainer. Yeah, you're, you're out there, uh, and there is nothing. It is like. You know, it is like, you know, Looney Tunes and the Roadrunner type, yeah. like, you know, setting. And we like, oh, why are they like they just had all these different things happen uh, and they're grumbling. And it's like when you look at, you know, this God that tells you that there's going to be this promised land that he's given you and all you see is death. Yeah. It's hard to live in faith in what is unseen and believing that God is going to provide. And I think a lot of times like. When we were, when you had told us to speak on the Holy Spirit, I did like a study of like each inauguration of the temple because I think a lot of people it talks about in Hebrews haven't moved on from the elementary teachings of the cross, and so they sit at the foot of the cross, uh, and God has freed them, atoned for their sins, and they just sit there, and so a lot of people walk away and get bored, or they right. don't know their because they don't know their identity, they have no purpose, and it's like. For freedom, Christ has set us free, but he also commissioned us to be a kingdom of priests. Like he didn't just say, hey, stop at the cross and that's it. No, he's like, there's a crossover that takes place stepping into the promise. And I think that's the missing key in a lot of people being in the wilderness. People will think that we say the cross is important. We've been told the cross is it all. Yeah, Uh, The cross is the open door to the kingdom of God. Exactly. But if you just sit at the cross... And we sing songs about sitting at the cross. Maybe you need to sit at the cross and realize that your sins have been redeemed. But at some point, you've got to change the way you think mm-hmm. where you don't need to go to the cross to remember that exactly. you're redeemed. You're redeemed. God wants you to walk in the kingdom of God. Yeah. The cross is an incredible experience in a, in a believer's life. It should be. Mm-hmm. It was at the cross where I laid down my sin. It's at the cross where I believed that God wants to heal us and set us free. It was at the cross. It's a Absolutely, it's one of those things that we should cherish Mm -hmm. in our life, but it should not become an anchor to our life Mm -hmm. either. It's not something that God's saying, okay, now hang out at the cross. God's saying, now go walk in the kingdom of God. Be kingdom uh, kingdom livers, where mm-hmm. we live in a kingdom with a kingdom mindset, and we're going out and broadcasting uh, what the cross gave us the broadcast and what Jesus paid for on the cross. That's such a great um, yeah thing that I think a lot of believers need to walk in for sure. And you'll hear about it in uh, in the small group series. I'm gonna just yeah. And you, if you if you go like the wilderness, you go to the wilderness. Um, and you see that, you know, you, you realize that there was no way they were ever going to go in the promised land because <laughs> they, they had to change the way we think. And I think the thing that prevents us is repentance. And it's mm. not saying I'm sorry, mm. but our thinking is yeah. really what prevents us from going into the promised land. It's how we think. It's our worth, whether we can do it. Because our thinking is so consumed with what I can do. We don't even give time or mental energy to the fact of God's going to do something mm-hmm. in us. Like, like I'm yoked with God. And they didn't do that. They, they only thought in their own ability. They didn't mm-hmm. even think about the God who set them free through the Red Sea. I mean, it, it's incredible that they were even questioning the giants in the land when God was on their side. Yeah. You know, and stretched out his finger and performed all those right. plagues against Egypt. It, it's interesting because it's the same thing. Why the Israelites remained in the wilderness is there needed to be that slavery mindset that needed to that needed to change. And I feel like 
you know, part of the reason people sit at the foot of the cross is not out of reverence. It's out of insecurity. Yeah. So it's like you can't move forward because it's like, am I really forgiven? And rather yeah. than operating in the freedom, it's like there's like an insecurity and it's a slavery mindset. And so you might not have been in bondage like the Israelites, but you remained in bondage in your head like the Israelites sitting in the wilderness, not stepping into your your purpose. It's a, I'm excited uh, for them to be able to hear that, that's a that's a great I think we can't you can't just move on from that because mm-hmm. that's a great statement people when they hear that on the surface saying you're saying the cross is an insecurity oh that is just so unbiblical no actually there's a lot of truth in that mm-hmm. because the cross sets you free to think differently yeah. if you're not thinking differently and you're thinking boy I just need to get saved again or I need to I need to say I'm sorry again you're not living in the cross you're mm-hmm. you're you're it's an insecurity mm-hmm. of why you're there. It, that's great. It's it's literally what the wilderness was for, and you won't leave the wilderness until you get through over that. And you're a conqueror, right? Uh, you know, the other thing that I thought was incredible is we did um, we went out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and after we were done filming, we talked with the boat captain who was very open. We asked him a lot of questions about the temple and if God really wanted sacrifices at the temple, wouldn't God have? provided a way for there to be a temple after almost 2000 years for Mm. there to be a temple there, if that's what he wanted. I mean, why? And, and then, and Jesus predicting that it would be torn down. And now the temple was torn down just like he had predicted. And how do you deny uh, that even that the veil was ripped when he died on the cross to the Holy of Holies, which, which many Jewish people deny ever happened. Um, And and he made a statement that I thought, and, and even asked him about the Messiah. And he said, most Jews, he said, not the Orthodox, as much as most Jewish people believe that the land is the temple, which was one of the first things that I had ever heard that being the case, that the land of Israel was the temple. It's the Holy Land set apart like the temple. And and he said that, that, that the Messiah is something that will happen, but it's not like this big thing to them like we think it is. Mm. And and Jewish Orthodox people have disagreed with this, have said they disagree with, but this is some of the Jews that consider themselves not to be Orthodox, but very Jewish in their faith, yeah. is according to him. But he made an interesting point. He said, the reason Jesus could not be the Messiah is because everything didn't change. And he said, when the Messiah comes, everything changes. And something hit me when he said that is, they're looking for the second coming of the Messiah. Because hmm. when the second coming of the Messiah come happens, yeah. there's the battle of Armageddon, and then there's the millennial reign, mm-hmm. and everything changes. He sits on his throne. Mm-hmm. He rules over the world. They, they, they only see him as being the one who comes and everything changes. The they, don't, they don't see the prelude yeah. that prepares them for that. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because you come in, that's that's what really changes and, you know, even listen and like it, starting to, you know, change my perspective from not just such such a Western thinking and then putting my beliefs into scripture, but taking for what it is and understanding and jumping into the shoes of who it was written to, why it was written, the time period, why it, it'll change the way you think and begin to understand better because you're, you're, you're getting into the mind of the audience that these were written to and you don't have a Disney princess theology where the world revolves around you. It, 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 there, there's a lot more meaning to, to be discovered when you view it 
uh, that way. But there's another thing that we misinterpret is Caesarea Philippi. Yeah. So what happened there? Jesus, uh, you know, asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter has this amazing revelation that Jesus says, hey, this wasn't revealed to you by man, but my father revealed it to you. And because of that, you're blessed. And he says, I will build my church upon you, Peter, and the gates of hell won't prevail. Yeah, and that 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 has been preached so many times in churches, um, really without the understanding of geography, and and if you think about it, Jesus hasn't died yet, yeah. so hell isn't hell; it's Sheol. Yeah. So to bring up hell, it really is it has a totally different meaning at that point, and they are way up in the north part of Israel. So Jesus is not even at the Sea of Galilee when this happens. It's way up in this right now would be the uppermost point of Israel mm. on the map. Very lush area, probably cooler uh, area. So it's it's very cool when they're having this conversation and a spring flows up out of this rock face with a big gorge in the side of this rock face and at the base of this rock face. So if you're in Caesarea Philippi, if you look up, uh, it's, it's Herod the Great's son created this very Greek city of which Jesus goes to. And, and in his city, he puts temples in honor, uh, like Roman temple, uh, there is a temple to Zeus. There's a temple to the god of Pan, which is a freakishly mm. scary uh, god with a goat and human body. Um, and it was meant to instill fear in people. And then there was the, um, there was a, a, a lower goat, uh, temple, a higher goat temple, and then and then there is a couple more, and and this whole area would have covered this gorge, and the gorge was nicknamed Hades because they didn't. It, it, it was like bottomless. The, the the spring came up out of this gorge, out of this pit in the side of a rock face. So if you can imagine when Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, he's actually talking, Hades is, he, he's talking about a location, geography of Hades was in the side of this mount. And he says, the gate, that whole scripture isn't about hell. It's about the gate of, of this place. What he was referring to was the temples the temple of Pan, which was right over that, the temple of Zeus. He's, he's really saying the religious systems of the day will not prevail against, that. like there will be, there's only one true gospel. Mm -hmm. And all of the imitations, all of the other uh, thing won't prevail and they didn't prevail. Mm -hmm. There's no longer religious upon uh, a religion upon. There's no longer there. There's people who may worship the God of Zeus, but the religion it's, it's a non issue. None of the, uh, you know, really what's interesting is the only ancient religions that really have lasted for long periods of time. I mean, Buddhism and Hinduism might be, uh, somewhere in there, although we can't necessarily trace it all the way back, but you have Islam, which ties itself back to Jehovah God. Mm -hmm. You have Judaism, which ties itself back to Jehovah God. And you have Christianity, which ties itself back to Jehovah God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all the other religions have fallen away because they are false 
gods and they haven't lasted through history. The gates, the religious systems are not going to prevail. That's it's very interesting, and that is an eye opener. Uh, where you're there, the the cool, the not even cool thing, because it's really creepy. I'm I'm glad I never. I wish I would have never looked up the picture of what it was, because it is. It's yeah, freaky. it's funny because they told you it was freaky, and that that curiosity inside of you had to figure out what what does it look like, and you yeah. go to look it up. Okay, that's freaky. Well, if someone tells me, that, I'm like, well, I'm now. I want to know what caused fear, because they said that the word panic comes from the word pan. Yeah, and I'm and she showed me a picture. I'm like, this looks like. You know, a stuffed animal. Like, yeah. I'm like, and so I looked it up and it, it's, it's, it is weird. It, don't look it up. But I, I probably I don't look I'm it up. What you mean? That, yeah. As I was saying that, I'm like, you're probably like, everybody's me. Googling. You'll see yeah. on your, you'll see on the Google bar on the side that, yeah. you know, the word. <laughs> I wish I would have never said it. But yeah. So Israel was uh, amazing. We're doing this series that we talked about is called more than a book the reason why we are calling it that is that we want the bible to come alive for you that it wouldn't be something that you know but it would be something that you would believe and uh helping you do that uh we are going to be standing at the locations as we share uh with you uh and and i think this is like life hacks on steroids because yeah. we went around the nation and we were doing different filmings for like symbolism with scripture. Now we're actually standing in locations with biblical significance and we're going to be sharing it with you and we pray that it would come alive for you. So keep your eye on that in September. There will be more promotion following this podcast, but it's good to be back. Well, and, and in 2024, we'll be going back to Israel on a tour yeah. and it doesn't matter where you're at, where you're, if you're out of the country, it doesn't matter where you're from, you can join us on that tour uh, in the fall of 2024. And, and what's cool is you have, we have a Jewish guide that really gives us Jewish perspective. We have a Christian guide that gives us the, the Christian practical Christian connection to that location and great time with people. It's all planned out. You don't have to worry about where you're going or getting places. It's all planned out. And, a, and we take a tour bus, the cost covers your, your dinner and your breakfast. It's just a great trip to go on to experience. And you know what's interesting when we were there, you always see people who are in their latter years of life, you know, in their 70s and 80s. And even in our group, there was some older uh, saints and they all said this, I wish I had went when I was younger. Hmm. And we, we th always think I'm going to wait until I'm older to go. Well, if you wait, you lose all of those years of reading the Bible differently. Mm -hmm. exactly. Like there, when you go, it just brings new life to the word. So I would encourage people, don't wait until you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. You should really go in your 30s, even if your 20s, if you can, but your 30s and your 40s, because when you go and you see it, I mean, there's just, it, it will just, it, it will benefit you more for a longer period of your life. Yeah. And again, like we're not joking about that. We actually had someone sign up for a missions trip that's part of our online community. So we're really, we're really serious about that. And you can visit our website to learn more about that at Bethelsrock.org. You can contact me. Uh, my, you can contact me on my Instagram, AlexPreston31. You can text BRockBelong uh, to 77411. That's BRockBelong to 77411. 
411. Fill out that form. Tell me what you're looking for. Or you can email me at pastoralex at bethelsrock.org and I will do my best to answer any questions that you have. Or if you just want to talk, you want to be a part of a small group uh, that we talked about, or you just have some questions uh, that you're dealing with in your faith. We have a, a community that meets Wednesdays and Thursday nights, and we would love for you to be a part of that. We love you guys, and we will see you uh, soon.